Welcome back to another episode of Alumless. It is Friday, 1130 here on the East Coast. It's great to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'm your host, Ryan Catherwood. Alumless is a Chris Marshall Advancement Consulting production. Uh, we took a couple of weeks off for the 4th of July holiday and to get a little vacation in, maybe just chill out a little bit. Uh, but now we're back in the saddle and excited to be back with you for this episode. Uh, today, we are broadcasting live. So if you've got a question for Chris or myself, or even better for today's special guest, Matthew Ewing uh, from Boise State University, uh, please do ask it in the comments section of LinkedIn. So when you post a comment on LinkedIn, on the LinkedIn live event, we can see that here in our uh, StreamYard interface. Our live show is about 30 minutes long, uh, but we do an additional 30-minute segment with our guests each week, available only on the podcast version of Alumless, which you can subscribe to using Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Amazon Music. Okay, well, let's go ahead and bring in Chris, and we'll uh, get the show started. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Hey, hey, Ryan, how are you, man? Good to see you. Good to be back on Alumless here on a Friday. Uh, what you been up to? You were at uh, Case Summit this week. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, since the last show, which is four weeks now, um, I've had a vacation, uh, a lot of work travel, and then most recently the Case Summit in Chicago, which was just fantastic to be around people again <laughs> in large quantities. I was, uh, I was, um, mismanaged my calendar this year such that uh, I didn't make it out to Chicago for the event. Uh, you know, as you think back on it, you know, what were some of the, the highlights? And I know it's always great to meet senior advancement leaders at the summit. What, uh, what sort of sticks in your mind? The, 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 it's always for me, the networking, the, the stuff in between sessions and the time you have in larger groups and all that. It was even more so this year than ever. Everybody has felt you know, we've been sort of cooped up. And for many, this was the first time back at a conference. So you felt that acutely this year, which was great. And, you know, from a, from a, I run a company, obviously. So per personally, it was, it was great to bump in and spend time with clients. That's always important. But the content was very strong as well. I mean, there, at worst, it was B, I said to somebody earlier. And uh, there were a few sessions that were A plus kind of categories that were just fantastic. I'll give you just three quick examples. Um, yeah. What, what I loved to taking away from most than any, more than anything was the, to see evidence in, of the evolution of the case alumni engagement metrics product, which I worked on back in 2017 when we originally started it, and where it is today, four or five years later now, um, it's 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 the evolution that I expected to see, and it's really cool to see more schools participating and what they're doing with the data uh, as well. It's exciting to see that. Um, there's a great session at the end of the conference on diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, which all of us need to spend time thinking about. And all of us, well, I, I know I can say this, uh, I'm on my own journey on these topics. So anytime you can hear from experts and reinforce that learning is great. The one that stuck with me, stood with me the most, you know, stuck with me the most was um, one, a, a session on sort of surviving the realities of the world that we're in today, you know, including COVID, of course, but what the speaker was talking about is that, you know, there were, I think she put up nine different things that would cause stress in anyone's life. And the fact that nine of them are happening concurrently is, is enough to give everyone, and I, I wrote down a few. So COVID itself, the, the war, uh, Russia and Ukraine, uh, monkeypox impending now, the continued strains of things that are coming, economic crisis, political divisiveness. She went on and on, all these things yeah. were like, holy cow, it just made you feel like we've been through a lot the last two years. So so the sort of the takeaway for me was to give us all and everyone we interact with some grace in the world that we're in today, because it's such a 
stressful life, whether, whether you're raising money or whatever you do for a living, um, you need some grace for everyone and, and, and for yourself at the same time. So that was a really great session. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, Chris, a few times people have asked me about, you know, what's it like to do consulting work or be a consultant? And, you know, I think, you know, um, people might be interested to know as a consultant, you own your own business, right? Um, how do you think about conferences like CASE in terms of utilizing your time and, and thinking about um, scheduling appointments and, and things of that nature? Yeah, yeah it, it's a great way to connect with a lot of people. I think being present continuing learning, all those things are, are important for anybody in any role. I mean, we, we've learned, you know, for 21 years, in my case, of what's going on in the industry, but it's changing. And every day you spend time with people, you're going to learn more about what's changing. So I, I love just that bumping in to people. I think what Case has done specifically has done some really good work in the last few years. Sue Cunningham has been a phenomenal leader for, for our industry and has done some amazing things. Um, you know, if I had to leave, if anybody from a business standpoint said to me, what's the best thing about a conference? I would tell you that scheduling meetings in advance before you go is the most important thing because counting on just bumping into people and having time isn't working. So I schedule 12 30-minute meetings with people, and those are the most valuable things from a business standpoint that I got out of it. But along with the learning and the networking, you put that all together. It was really a phenomenal trip to Chicago. I was so glad I was there. We'll be there together That's next great. year, Ryan. I already have you hold the dates. It's in New York, so make sure you're there. We're going together. <laughs> I, I will. Uh, my wife was on a business trip, so I was holding down the fort here in Richmond yeah. this last week. Uh, but it will be there next year. Uh, and we're going to talk to our guest, Matthew Ewing, about donor experience design and, and how he's thinking about the evolution of constituent engagement strategies. But as you reflect on the case conference and some of the other work that we've been doing with our partners this spring, what is your sense of how we need to be thinking about the future of our work in, in perhaps, you know, specifically with respect to donor experience design, but other things too? Yeah. Um, in a word, I'm going to just say outcomes. We need to be thinking more and more about outcomes, whether that's fundraising, which we're going to talk with Matthew about here in a minute. Let's get to him as soon as we can. But let me yeah. add three other things to that. The work that alumni engagement can do can help with recruitment of new students Outcome of that is you have students who are paying tuition and that's a revenue source for your institution. But retention, another one, using mentoring and other roles to help students stay and go from first to second and graduate. Retention is a big issue for a lot of institutions, not all, but for many, um, but also career related outcomes. So, you know, are we getting helping kids on that journey to launch into internships and full time jobs and uh, on a path that's going to give them the support they need? I think all those are measurable outcomes that alumni engagement should be playing a role in. So back to the one word, we get even more than ever thinking about outcomes. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Chris. Um, well, let's, uh, without further ado, let's bring out our guest for today, uh, Matthew Ewing, and, and we can talk about some of these trends and their implications. We are incredibly glad, excited, overjoyed, uh, grateful to have Matthew <laughs> Ewing, Vice President, uh, University Advancement at Boise State University, join us for today's episode of Alumnus. Hey, Matthew, what's going on? Good morning, Ryan and, and Chris. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. I say good morning. I'm, you know, being out west, I think we're, we're still in the morning here. I know you and, and maybe some of your viewers maybe get into the afternoon, but it's a pleasure to be here. We're, we're glad to have you. Um, you know, Chris and I had the chance to meet you and your team at Boise State back in November, which was awesome. Tell maybe folks what you've been working on this spring semester. What's what's hot at Boise State Advancement these days? 
Well, uh, Chris and Ryan, I think as you know, I've, I've been back at Boise State for a little over two years now. And, and I, I say back for your listeners, um, I, I came to Boise State in 2014 from Indiana University, our foundation there. Uh, spent about four years here, then went to Cal Poly to uh, in San Luis Obispo to lead their fundraising efforts, their foundation, uh, launch and complete their campaign. And um, honestly, never, my wife and I never thought we were going to be coming back to Boise, but as life often brings you and uh, the opportunity arose, we, we moved back to Boise in 2020, which uh, Chris, you spoke about some of those, you know, just challenges that I think individuals have experience, uh, still are experience. Yeah, right. Uh, I came back to Boise State and I think it was four or five weeks later, um, I'm sitting in an exec team meeting with our cabinet and president and university leaders in like a lot of places we had to pivot and sent most of our team home uh, to work remotely for a, a number of months. Um, but what I'm most excited about is that the, the vision that in conversations I had with our president, with our foundation board, with some of our academic leaders and our deans, um, and this vision really started before I accepted the job of, of the model and what I was going to bring if I was going to come back. And I don't know that you get this opportunity too many times in your career to be able to sit down um, with a potential partner and employer and say, hey, this is my vision. I knew how we did it before. I knew the opportunity. Uh, if you're aligned with that vision, awesome. Um, if not, I'm probably not your guy. Yeah. And it was exciting to be able to set that. And it was even more exciting that our president, Dr. Marlene Trump, uh, our foundation board leadership, particularly uh, Paul Powell, our executive director, Brandy Stimler, our executive chair, and Randy Hales, who was serving as our vice chair at the time, um, all said, yes, let's go. And so even with the challenges of the pandemic and not only building the infrastructure and alignment, but also needing to, you know, I'm big on our culture and, and our people. Doing that through the pandemic was a challenge, but what's really exciting, you know, I'm going to, I guess I'll tease this a little bit. We're going to announce it publicly next week. The, I'm so proud of the team. I'm so proud of our campus partners and ultimately really excited for our alumni and donors as we'll announce next week the university's uh, highest one-year total fundraising productivity in the history of the university. And, you know, thank you, Chris. And, you know, we're excited about that. But what I, I told the team yesterday, that's, that's, that's cool. Like, we'll get a headline. It's, it's cool for our donors to see that and for our team to feel that. And I, I think it shows that we're making progress. We're getting the buy-in on the culture we're building. The results are speaking for themselves. But what's more important is the impact that all of that is having whether that's support into our athletics program and supporting our whole student athlete, creating better access for our students through scholarships or more and, and equally important for Boise state and where we are in our trajectory, um, supporting our faculty and innovative research programs. And all three of those buckets were hit this year and our donors are really aligning behind it. So I think that's what I'm most excited about, Ryan, is the work that we laid out um, even in the challenges and the two short years we're, we're seeing the team respond and ultimately our alumni and donors respond. Great. Yeah. And I hesitate to say, you know, congratulations to getting to the beginning of your campaign. Um, that's <laughs> incredibly exciting. Uh, you know, it's getting to the starting line and, and getting buy-in and um, having set the stage like you have, I think is really fantastic. 
Um, before I follow up with another question, just anyone who's listening out there watching us live on LinkedIn, potentially chime in, say hello. We'd love to see you in our comments and uh, be able to interact with you here live on the show while you're watching. I know Chris invited like hundreds of people this week, so um, we're, we're going to be um, um, make sure to call folks out when we get a chance. So I asked, you know, what you've been working on, Matthew, uh, but um, you're also, uh, in addition to rolling out a campaign, also looking to hire a new senior leader on your team uh, for a role that was just posted last week. I thought this might be a great opportunity with our audience to you know, share a little bit about that role. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Um, it's an exciting role for us. It's a new role. So part of, and it goes back to, the vision we we laid out as a team and as a university when I came back. And, and that vision is to create the best culture of philanthropy and alumni engagement of any public university in the country. That's what our teams bought into, our campus partners, and that's what we align every strategic decision around. And so a part of that is also building, and, and this will be a, a word that in term that would be familiar, certainly with Chris, I hear it a lot from him, you know, an integrated advancement model. And for us at Boise State, you know, a lot of good things were happening. That culture of philanthropy was started decades ago, um, but we were doing it in silos. And whether that's our, everyone doing good work and trying to do the best that they can, but our foundation was functioning over here. Our alumni association was functioning over here, our athletic department, um, the silos in, in academics, career services. And so bringing that integrated mindset together has been really important. And I made three structural changes, and it'll come to that last position here in a moment. The first one was getting our AVP for development hired, and we were able to do an internal promotion with that. Our Gia Berstein, who leads our major gift team, our gift planning efforts, and our partnerships with our deans, athletics, and academics. We then created, and you know, this may be a shock for you, but the state never had a, you know, what I'll call a traditional advancement services structure. And that speaks to those silos that that existed. And so uh, we created that here. I was able to recruit uh, Joe Bokey from Caltech, who has, you know, 20 plus years of experience, probably pushing 30, uh, multiple billion dollar campaigns, uh, CRM conversions. You run the list. I was I was so pleased that we were able to bring Joe to our team to build that. And that last piece is now bringing in the new position we have posted right now our AVP for alumni and constituent engagement, which is the final structural piece for our team to get in place. And that's bringing together our advancement marketing and communications efforts, our annual giving efforts, and our alumni relations and alumni engagement efforts, all under one leader and all working together through that lens of how we're not only gonna build that best culture, um, but ultimately enhance and serve a better donor experience and a better alumni experience. Yeah. Matthew, I think you kind of alluded to the why right there at the end of your question. Chris, I was going to follow up with you and say, yeah. you know, we, we're seeing this alignment, the bringing together of alumni engagement, annual giving and advancement communications becoming a bit more common, although I think it's still a pretty new thing. You know, why is it becoming more common? What are you seeing? I, I think there has, there was a trend to combine them and then they sort of faded away and then they were separate for a while and they're starting the, the new trend is they're coming back together again. And I think when they were merged in the previous versions, there were several examples. It still felt like you had specifically alumni engagement, annual giving, you had two different teams. So you, you took the silos and you put, put them within a silo 
And what's happening now, these new models are fully integrating those positions. And I'm seeing it from every type and size institution, Boise State heading in that heading in that direction, obviously, but um, Lafayette College, small independent or small liberal arts college, sorry for Lafayette out there. Um, and then uh, uh, NC State, large, very large public institution doing the same exact thing. To me, I think it just makes sense. First of all, you have to have the right leadership and vision, that integrated model fully, not side by side, two different, you know, the same shops working independently of each other under the same leader doesn't make sense. It's got to be integrated. But I also think, you know, the, the big one for me, is I think there's been increased pressure on us as an industry to show ROI and ROE, I always call it, return on engagement. And I see Matthew nodding, but vice presidents and presidents and chancellors and boards are looking at seeing what's the impact? What We're going to make this investment. What's going to come out of it at the end? And I think that's putting the pressure on folks to make these moves now and do them in that integrated way. And Chris, right, I want to make one more comment for I think, the listeners because, you know, shops are structured different ways. And, you know, so when I when I lean into this, how we're going to build this this alumni and constituent engagement model and that part of our, our division and how we tell that story, how we are engagement, creating that return on on that engagement and ultimately driving fundraising. I mean, at the you know, ultimately, that is, is, is a mission we are charged with in advancement to be able to serve the university and our donors. Um, at Boise State, our, the marketing uh, team for the university is a, not a part of advancement, I know, and, and some of your listeners that may be. Um, but I'm so fortunate at Boise State, we've got a, a chief marketing officer, Lauren Griswold. And, and when she got here a couple of years ago, starting to build out what the university's commu larger communication strategy is, and she immediately started thinking about how the role of a campaign and how alumni and how advancement plugs into that. And so having that partnership and getting that leader to be able to work directly with our CMO outward into the colleges and athletics to coordinate the alumni engagement and storytelling from a philanthropic standpoint, uh, we're so fortunate to have that structure here, even though they're not, you know, on an org chart together, we've built that culture and model. And Lauren's been a huge piece of that. Yeah. Um, Matthew, we had Brian Cisco from NC State on, on our last episode, and he shared some reflections from their successful $2.1 billion campaign on Alumnus. Uh, you're on the road to launching a comprehensive philanthropic campaign yourself there at Boise State. What are you thinking about right now as you work to put all the pieces in place? Um, yeah, I think it's a lot of the traditional things that you know go into a campaign. Uh, it's getting you know, our key volunteer leaders, and, and in this case, particularly our foundation board. Um, that's how we're going to build our campaign leadership. Uh, our foundation board came to us shortly after I got here and said, we have the fiduciary role. We want to continue to do that, but we want to play a larger role in helping on the alumni engagement and particularly the fundraising side to be able to execute that. And so we've built the campaign structure. We established a campaign committee within our foundation board, which is, which is a critical part. Um, we just completed uh, our campaign readiness assessment. We partnered with Johnson Gross Nickel and Associates out of Indianapolis uh, to complete that work. Uh, just last week, I'm, uh, this is really exciting for us internally as, again, we're working towards the launch of a public phase, uh, starting a partnership with Simpson Scarborough. I got to put a plug in because you men mentioned NC State. Uh, Jason Simon, the CEO of Simpson Scarborough, NC State grad, I believe. Uh, and has done some great, amazing work there. So we're starting to map out, okay, working backwards from looking about a year from now to go into the public launch, um, building those priorities. Again, you know, 
I repeat this a lot within the team and within our university. Um, big dollars are, are cool and exciting and flashy. Um, but what this is this campaign about? What's it actually going to accomplish? And being very focused and intentional about what we're going to do. So, um, and then I'll, I'll say one more thing. And I, yeah, you know, I maybe need to figure out a way to maybe reframe this in a in a better way. But it's you know for us, this campaign is about the next one and about the future. And I, I don't mean that to to come across as we're not going to make some important impact and do some good work. But we are building an infrastructure not to just be exciting for one campaign, but how we build sustainable growth, how we build that best culture, both around alumni engagement and philanthropy, so that we have sustainable growth and can continue this very steep trajectory that Boise State's been on for the past couple of decades. I've heard you say that a couple of times, uh, Matthew, and I love it. Uh, I love that notion. Shout out to Brent Grinna, who just jumped in on the chat there and there's the position posting for you. So we we can bring on guests not to you know promote their books or movies, but promote their open positions. So <laughs> we're definitely good to uh, share some great opportunities, particularly in this engagement space. Uh, this the the job that's now up and posted with Matthew's team at Boise State is really a unique one. And any engagement pro out there who's um, just interested in a great challenge with a good group of people in a beautiful place ought to take a look at it. Um, Matthew, when we were promoting the show a little bit, we thought we wanted to talk with you about donor experience because uh, that's been a really successful initiative, I think, that you've had. And uh, something in your your partnership with, obviously, with Brent at, at Evertrue is, has been part of that. Um, could you, I think there's plenty of people out there who don't know what DXO programs are all about. Um, would you share a little bit more about, you know, the program at Boise State, how it's staffed, how it's managed, and maybe some of the wins that you've had here early on? Yeah, so our, I think for your listeners, you can you can think of a DXO program as, you know, just a, a better way to build a leadership annual giving model. And, you know, my, my first job in a fundraising role at Indiana University, our foundation, was was to build our leadership annual giving program. I think we started with maybe three of us, and then we had a, a new president of our foundation, Dan Smith, came in. And you know, I'm a I'm a pretty early in my career and, and young, and I had to go sit in front of our leadership team as we were presenting our annual budgets. And part in part, what they asked us to do is, if you had to cut your budget by 10 to 15 percent, where would you cut? And if you had an investment of 10 to 15%, where would you make that investment and what would that return be and how can we show growth? And we were having some early success building the pipeline and also driving some major gifts out to our colleges and and schools at Indiana University. So I said, you know, look, if you can give me two more of these, I can show this return. Uh, We'll also continue to build our talent. And I'll I'll never forget this. Uh, Dan Smith, you know, looked at me in the room and said, two, you need 10 more of these. And so <laughs> I immediately had to go out and hire, uh, I think, 10 more, 10 more leadership annual giving officers. And we were successful. That program can, continues there. But as I thought about our work and I had conversations, you know, Brent's, I think, joined us and, and he and I spoke for, gosh, probably five or six years about, you know, how can we do this better and how can we do it differently? And so we were already thinking about this when I got back and before the pandemic broke out. But then the pandemic only uh, 
um, drove that need even more because we had to lean into a, a much more digital world. And so we created the partnership with, with Evertrue um, where they can bring and we all can bring and align our strategy, our technology and our people to, again, for us, ultimately accomplish that vision. So we started with three of those. We've expanded that. to I think we're at four or five now. Um, another plug, we're actually hiring another DXO. So uh, check out the Boise State Advancement uh, job site. Uh, we've got a lot of growth going on right now in a lot of different roles. Um, but giving our leadership annual giving officers, which are now our DXOs, the tools and the technology to do their work much more efficiently and to go from seeing 50 to 70 donors a year to interacting and providing the same experience that our top 1% of our donors get at a major gift level, that same experience with thousands of donors. Yeah. And so we launched that in 2020, some, some just quick success, and then I'll, uh, I'll let you ask some more questions if we want to. Um, from 2020 to this year, our, our DXOs 2X their number of assigned prospects. So we have more folks in the pipeline being, um, I hate to say managed, but getting that experience. Uh, they 4X the number of meetings they had from 20, before 2020 to current day. And three, almost three and a half X the giving from those individuals. And I'm a big believer and that's all because of we were able to align in that partnership with Evertrue and our team here, the strategy, the technology, and ultimately the people. And I'll, just one more remark on this, because for us, we have two objectives with our DXO program. And, and for myself, for our Gia Bearside, who leads that, that team, they are equally weighted. That's how are we going to provide that better donor experience, grow the pipeline, and, 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 and continue to grow our donor base? And equally important, how are we recruiting and growing the best and brightest talent? And so one of the successes we had this year, Scott Jurgens, who started with us as the DXO, first is our kind of old school leadership annual giving officer, dove into the DXO, bought into the model, bought into the cadence, um, had success, closed a $400,000 estate gift, wow. just promoted Scott into a director of development role. And that's what we talked to a lot with our, our team about, building our talent pool. Um, if they dedicate the time and they dive into this, there's going to be a future here for them at Boise State. Yeah, it's a great talent pipeline opportunity as well for the growth of future development officers. Um, Chris, you know, as we've worked with more and more colleges and universities, um, DxO programs, whether it's with Evertrue or another firm, a homegrown variety, what do you think the implications are about how alumni leaders, engagement professionals should adapt and connect their work, make life easier for those DxOs? First of all, you should you should do it with Evertrue. I have no stake in that at all, but I can tell you it's the best out there in this particular niche of work that they do. I, I love what they're doing, and if you're going to do it, do it with the best, and that's with Brent and Evertrue. Um, I, I will say, though, that I think this is going to force our work as an alumni engagement industry to be even more integrated with the fundraising side of it. And if you most alumni professionals, if you, if I went around the case summit and did a survey of this, I would get most of them understand that connection and get the integration, but there are still people out there that think of themselves as separate from development and they're the friend raisers. And then the development office is over there. Um, and, and if you're in that mode, 
it's time to stop. You need to lean in <laughs> and, and and understand that you're part of this and show the impact you're going to have on lots of things, including on fundraising. So that's where I think it's going to really change our business completely. It's going to take out those outliers that still think of themselves as friend raisers. And we're going to have even more integrated models building. Had a great discussion over at William and Mary for their professional development day around those similar themes. And uh, I think there's broad kind of recognition that. Um, yeah. And when volunteers recognize that you're in a great place as an institution, because the volunteers understand that that's an outcome expected as well. Chris, we're going to move our conversation with Matthew over to um, the bonus segment. We're going to get deeper into donor experience with him and talk about some other components. But this is uh, where we love to tease who we're going to have on the show next time, because we're going to lose our live listeners here in just a moment and then uh, check back with them in the podcast version. So how about a plug for next time? So uh, the great Jennifer Cunningham in the incestuous world of alumni relations, uh, Jennifer worked with me at Cornell and she's now at Lehigh where I used to work, but she's a brilliant marketer. And uh, I would say one of the thought leaders in the metrics, how to apply metrics to our work. Uh, Jennifer Cunningham from Lehigh University is next uh, two weeks. And then two more weeks from there, we're going to bring in Nancy Merritt uh, on August 19th from Pitt, who also came from Lehigh but another brilliant alumni leader. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about alumni relations role in the campaign and some of the key traditions that they have at Pitt and what they're doing at that particular time of the year. We'll get some cool insights from her as well. So two great guests coming up. We're following Matthew. That's awesome. Thanks for the, the plug there, Chris, for the show. Matthew, we're going to reconnect with you in just a moment. I'm going to end the live broadcast. Thank you for everyone for tuning in. And we'll catch you on LinkedIn Live here just in two weeks' time. Be sure, of course, to subscribe to the podcast so you can hear the rest of, of Matthew's comments with us today. All right. With that, we were going to end the live broadcast and shift over to the bonus segment. Thanks, Chris and Ryan. Thank you. All right, we have returned. Thanks for those of you who stuck through the break and the fun uh, intro music that uh, you just sat through in your podcast version. Now we're, we've returned with Matthew Ewing from Boise State University, Vice President, University Advancement, to continue the conversation here on Alumless and uh, pick up where we left off the conversation. We we're getting into some great themes around campaign management, donor experience design, and we will pick up those themes here in the bonus segment. Uh, thanks for subscribing to the podcast. We're, we're glad uh, that you're making alumless part of your week. Um, Matthew, let's pick up where we left off a little bit about um, you know, Boise State in general, because it was really fun to work with you and to learn about your unique school. I think a lot of people probably know Boise State because of the football program and the famous blue turf. I didn't realize, of course, until we got a chance to work with you and learn more about Boise State, that the blue turf kind of has an even deeper meaning on campus, uh, that folks work there described it as a blue turf mentality. Uh, what does that mean? And, and if you could sort of share a little bit about what makes Boise State such a special place. Yeah, I think that, that blue turf mentality or blue turf thinking um, it is ingrained here. And it, it was a part of what attracted me when I came to Boise State the first time in, in 2014. Um, and an 
opportunity, having you know grown up professionally at Indiana University's foundation, um, you know, a 200-year-old institution, big university, billion-dollar campaigns. Uh, and I was attracted to the opportunity to come to, you know, what I'll describe Boise State as is still very much a, a startup. Um, you know, we're still a very young university. And so to be able to say, okay, what pieces of that playbook plug in here? Uh, what works, what doesn't? And I, I can, I, I mean, the blue turf thinking and mentality is you have the opportunity to do that. I mean, it's it's not a place, and this is, you know, it'll sound cliched where, you know, you hear a lot of, oh, well, we've tried that already. Or, no, this is my part, stay out of this. Um, it's ingrained in this entire university. And as our our president, Dr. Marlene Trump, will often say, you know, it's really fundamental to who we are. You know, it started as, you know, the what at the time was a crazy idea to, like, who says grass has to be green? And <laughs> now when you think about, you know, the the branding and the, you know, the, the notoriety of Boise State, it's hard to say people don't know what a blue turf is and haven't seen it. And so it symbolizes all the characteristics of who we are and innovators. I had the pleasure, and I'll tell a quick football story, because I think that's what people mostly think of when they think of Boise State. And I had the pleasure to sit down a couple of weeks ago with uh, a faculty emeriti, uh, Nancy Napier, who uh, really helped build and, and was transformational in our executive MBA program at Boise State. And we were talking about innovation and you know where you get ideas and blue turf thinking. And um, she told me a story of, of Coach uh, Peterson when he was here. And uh, for those football fans out there that know football history, Boise State really got on the map in 2007 when we shocked the world with a Statue of Liberty play to beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. And everybody thinks, okay, Coach Pete was this innovative individual and trick plays. And Nancy told me a story that she had pulled together a group of leaders, CEOs in the Boise area, Coach Pete, she called it the gang. And they just met and they talked a lot about innovation and culture and building teams. And she says, you know, Coach Pete didn't really think of himself as a very innovative person. He's like, I'm a football coach. It's all about the process. It's all about blocking and tackling and doing things the same and preparing for that. And over time, though, what how she describes it is he finally came back to her and realized for him, what, what, what blue turf thinking is and how I now define it is he's constantly asking the question, how do we get better and how can we do things differently? And for me, how I define blue turf thinking with our team and we're driving that culture in here is exactly how Coach Pete described it. You've got to have systems and processes. You've got to get the blocking and tackling done and the fundamentals. But it's constantly asking that question. How do we get better and how can we do it differently? One of the things that we noticed when we did the work with you back in the fall was that the whole institution has been on a fascinating trajectory for the past 20, 30 years. And as we sit here today, I mean, I love what you when you talk about um, building the culture of your team, you know, the best culture of philanthropy and engagement of any advancement shop, public school in the country. It's paraphrasing, but it's close to that. Um, but when you think about the overall institution, I, I think of other examples, like the football program certainly is a, is a lead example on this, but but even like recruiting students, they're coming from further and further away now to Boise State than ever before. And then 
it's not just an, a school that people go to if they're in Idaho. It's changed in, in, in those years and where we sit today. How would you describe the um, kind of the personality or ethos of the of the institution? What comes to mind when you think of that broadly? Well, certainly blue turf thinking. I think certainly um, we're still very much a, a startup in a lot of ways. Um, that's that's exciting. Um, yeah. It brings its challenges. You know, Boise State, uh, Chris and Ryan, were, was, was founded in 1932 as a junior college. <laughs> we had our first four-year graduating class in 1967. Wow. Yeah. So young relative to a lot of other places, right? Right. And, but the trajectory between, between 1932 and, and today, and in the fall, we'll celebrate the 90, the 90 anniversary of, uh, 90 year anniversary of the, of the school and university. Um, the other stat that, again, all of these are opportunities, but they bring their challenges. And, but this will, will speak to the trajectory and growth from an enrollment and from a university that we've been on. 60% of our graduates, we've got over 160,000 alumni. 60% of our graduates graduated between last year and 2011. Wow. So you can see the huge just young the cohort. Huge young cohort. And so that leans into how we have to think about how we're going to build that best culture, how we're going to serve our alumni. We don't have a choice but to lean in and think about how we can do things better and how we can do things differently with our younger alumni. We have to do that right now if not only this campaign is going to be successful, but more importantly, as we look towards the centennial and beyond over the next decade, if Boise State's going to continue that. Similarly, our research trajectory. Um, you know, we're now a high, high research university. Right. Um, so how are we recruiting the best and brightest faculty? How are we building the infrastructure needed to do that? I mean, Chris Ryan, the one thing holding us right back right now from from uh, continuing our enrollment, which, you know, we're, we're, we're fortunate, we're blessed because, you know, our enrollment continues to go up year after year. Uh, we can't build residence halls. Where are we going to put them, right? <laughs> yeah. you know, because we've grown from, um, you know, that junior college and serving more of a closer community to serving all of Idaho, serving outside of Idaho. You know, we're still a state university. Our mission is to make an impact on Idaho, but our out-of-state enrollment is growing as well. And so we're seeing a student population that wants that more traditional uh, destination uh, school as well, while at the same time, and probably one of our fastest growing programs uh, is our online presence. I mean, we're serving thousands of students, both traditional and, non and non-traditional, um, not just in the Pacific Northwest, but all over the world. And so um, it's a fascinating time to be at Boise State. It's part of why I came back. Yeah. I think it's got a, something of an it factor. I really do. There's there's something special, unique, and um, makes it a, a destination school uh, increasingly so, I think, for lots of students. Certainly a beautiful part of the country. We were out there, Ryan, in that time. We, we had a great trip, and uh, it's always good when you can enjoy the local surroundings. And we actually got a photo out on the blue turf, Matthew. I don't know if you knew that. We, we got a photo up out there with Lisa. Nice. I had to, yeah. yeah. Well, and I'll, I'll put a Chamber of Commerce plug in here. Yeah, and, do it. Um, it these are just the the things that my wife and I are passionate about and and you know we've got the professional side that we're excited about I spoke about that um but just you know life in Boise it's the only place I've found where you can ski in the morning play around a round of golf in the afternoon 
and then hit your mountain bike or go fly fishing right on campus all in the same day and not drive more than 20 minutes to do it. And that just speaks to, I think also, you know, we're big on the quality of life of our teams and individuals, um, you know, work hard, play hard. I'm a big believer and you can do that all right here in Boise and in Idaho. Good plug. plug. Good job. <laughs> well done. <laughs> let's, let's bring it to the world that you oversee and advancement and you have a foundation of alumni association. We're seeing um, lots of change happening around the country on these things. And I, and I know you have some thoughts on where you're headed as a institution at Boise State. would love to hear if you could, how things are shifting and changing. And when it comes to the alumni association, the foundation specifically, any thing you can share with folks listening and watching us on where that's going for you and where maybe the industry is going? Yeah, that's a, it's a big focus of uh, myself, the president, um, our foundation board leadership and our alumni association leadership of, you know, again, asking that question of, of how can we do this better and how can we do it differently? Um, Aligned behind though. And I, you know, I spoke about our vision uh, in the, in the live broadcast, everyone bought in and aligned behind creating that best culture of philanthropy and alumni engagement of any public university. And I think we are all bought in and, and aware that we can't do that if we're operating in silos. And so bringing that integrated advancement mindset here and the model and evaluating things right now of, you know, what is the future of our alumni association? Um, we're a dues-paying model. Uh, is that sustainable? Uh, as we look in and say, okay, if that's not, uh, what does the future of our alumni volunteer board look like? And I tell my, I reiterate to our board all the time. I think some of them were saying, well, if we don't have an association, what are we going to do? I said, well, you're actually going to do a whole lot more. A lot more, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're you're going to lean into a whole lot more, and, and that integrated model really aligned behind. You know, at the end of the day, our purpose is to help advance the university. And our charge in advancement, what we call our big A, whether that's the foundation, our athletic fundraising, academic fundraising, our alumni association, is to advance that university through engagement and philanthropy. And we've got to have a model that we're all working on one team to be able to solicit, receive, and, and have the fiduciary responsibility that we have on managing those charitable gifts. And then equally aligned with strengthening the ties by engaging not only our alumni, um, but our Bronco fans, our friends, parents, students, corporations around programming events and opportunities that deepen that engagement and connection. And if I could be so crass, Ryan and Chris, the reality of it is we want to strengthen that engagement to strengthen that investment and belief in the university to help it advance. And we have to all, you said something earlier, friend raising versus fundraising. I hope that's a term that our industry can just eliminate. Yeah. We are all aligned behind strengthening that engagement and philanthropy. When you said you were going to say something crass, I was like, perfect. You know, we're going to have the, the first F-bomb on uh, <laughs> on, uh, on alumnus. I was like, that's that's what podcasts are for. You can say whatever you want. And, uh, well, at the uh, risk that my mom might, might listen to this, I'll, 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 I'll say that. Very good to show restraint, I suppose, when it comes to <laughs> crassness. But uh, it's great. Yeah, the AVP role, incredibly exciting. Uh, it would be a crucial person for your next campaign. 
How are you thinking and planning for this new AVP leader to make an impact coordinating campaign communications, engaging alumni and donors? How do you see that person being kind of positioned to be front and center when it comes to your campaign? Yeah, I think the first step, and this is the work we did really over the past 12 months, um, you know, is getting that buy-in and alignment. And that's from the, the boards, but, you know, probably, I don't want to say more importantly, but it was, it's critically important. The, line, the alignment and buy-in of the teams that are going to be a part and, and underneath the direct, direct leadership of that individual. So that's our alumni relations programs, our annual giving programs, and our advancement communications and marketing. And, you know, this is an exciting opportunity for someone that is, is driven by both building something, but driven by constantly asking the question of how we're gonna rethink this. I spoke about our young alumni and how we gotta think about that differently, student philanthropy. Um, rethinking our annual giving program. You know, we've been successful with our DXOs at a leadership annual giving um, level, but I'm, I'm constantly thinking about, you know, what's the, what's the future of our phone-a-thon program? You know, how can we lean in in different ways to meet the donor and alumnus where they are, how they want to be engaged and interacted, not how we just have a structure. And so it's an exciting opportunity for a leader that's, that's committed to that sort of thinking and change and coming to help, help build something. Um, that person will also be the, the chief creative leader of our, our next campaign. We're, you know, about a year away, it's looking like, from, from launching into the public phase of that. So how are we going to tell that story in a very effective way? Um, I'm, I'm fortunate, I mentioned it earlier, we've got uh, Simpson Scarborough on board and Jason Simon and his team, who I think the world of. I worked with them at Cal Poly when we launched our cam, launched and completed our campaign there. So the, the infrastructure is in place. The tools are all here and the commitment from both the university and myself to put the resources behind it for this person to be successful. Um, I am so excited to get this position filled. It's the final piece of our leadership team and it's the final piece that's gonna allow us to fulfill that vision. Let me follow up with a question on campaigns in general. And I'm curious your thoughts on this. You and I have talked about this a little bit before, but I want you to share with everyone anything you want on this topic. But, is it, but the question is this, is the key measurement of success of any advancement VP, whether or not they've delivered a successful campaign, or in other words, can you be successful as a VP without executing this massive big number campaign? You know, I, th I think, Chris, if you'd asked me that, you know, early in my career, probably, you know, even five years ago, I would have probably answered yes. But the answer to that would have been very self-serving. And, you know, I've had the opportunity in more of a um, contributor role at Indiana University to be a part of the tail end and completion of one billion dollar campaign and then the start of another one. Uh, I've had the opportunity in my time at Boise State the first time to be a part of a very targeted campaign. We did a three-year campaign purely focused on scholarships. Uh, we set an initial $25 million goal and raised more than $50 million for it. In our industry, when you look around the billion-dollar campaigns, <laughs> someone would say, well, that's not, that's not that. But what it did was the impact that made 
and the sky, like the immediate impact that that made, our donors resonated with it. I'm convinced that's why we doubled that goal. Yeah. yeah. So I went to Cal Poly and we completed um, the largest campaign in California State University system history um, and in Cal Poly history, just shy of a billion dollars. And I'm, though that's all great. But I don't believe we should just continue to chase huge numbers for the sake of chasing huge numbers. And I've got um, an amazing opportunity this afternoon when we finish our call today. Uh, Kurt Simic might be familiar to some of your listeners. Uh, Kurt Simic, um, a legend in our industry and the longtime president at the Indiana University Foundation, uh, gave me my start in this career and has been a friend and mentor. Kurt happens to be in Boise. So Kurt and I are going to go play around a golf, and I'm taking two of my uh, development uh, directors with us to spend time and soak up some some time with Kurt. So I can't help but channel uh, what Kurt's response would be to this question. And, what would he say? What do you think he'd say? I mean, I'll, I'll paraphrase it, and I'm going to ask him this afternoon. But I think his reaction would be that we're we're deluding ourselves, or you know, that it's all about either individual or institutional ego if we're just chasing a big number. Mm. And if this campaign was $2 billion, so the next one's got to be four and the next one's got to be six. And what's more important is what are you actually going to accomplish with the money? And if it happens to be a big number, awesome. But if we can focus on, and that's what we're doing here, both with our donors and with our university, the priorities have to be clear and they have to make a real impact. Because Chris, I'm a, I mean, I'm a believer. I, you know, look, I'm on the younger side. How do you see yourself in a billion dollar campaign? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incumbent on us to to tell that story so that every individual can see that role. But I don't know, my view is focusing less on a big number and more on what the impact's going to be. What about, um, we've seen other institutions branch off and have other goals in a campaign. What are you thinking in that realm? Yeah, that's going to be critical uh, for us. You know, the, uh, so the three large buckets of our campaign, which are, you know, pretty traditional. Um, I think we might be a little unique. I need to look across the board and see how many university campaigns have um, really leaned in and told the story of why the role that athletics and academics have to to play a part in each other to be able to to move the university forward. And so, you know, our broad bucket funding priorities are going to be around scholarships, you know, how we're creating access for high achieving Idaho students and Idaho students with needs. Um, I mentioned our research trajectory earlier. How are we providing faculty support and driving those innovative programs? And then the role that athletics is going to play in supporting the student athlete and the facilities and infrastructure needed to continue their growth. But what's also critical for us and what we will also build goals around is that return on engagement. You know, with that 60% that graduated in you know, in the last couple of decades, how are we moving the needle on alumni engagement? How are we moving the needle on getting more into the pipeline and strengthening our, our, our future here? And so I think those sub goals around, you know, whether it's alumni engagement metrics or giving rates or participation, 
are going to be a real focus for us. And then I start to think about Chris and, you know, will it be a, a, a specific goal stated for us in the campaign? I don't know. But one of the things that I talk to our leadership team about a lot is if we're going to do a campaign, it is not university advancements campaign. It is the university's campaign. <laughs> I love it. Love so it. What, is, what does that allow us to do? It starts us to think about um, what's the role that career services play as a part of that return on engagement? Yep. What is our industry partners in feeding um, internship opportunities? Thinking about all of that, and if you do that and you're telling that story under a comprehensive campaign, you're, I'm, I'm confident the big number will come. And I'll be very clear, this will be the most ambitious campaign that Boise State has ever done. So don't, don't think we're probably not going to have a drive after. Um, but it's not losing sight of all of those things that we've got to do to build and think beyond just this campaign. Big number with big impact. I love it. I was going to say, everybody take note. It's going to be a big number, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> big impact. Yeah. Big number, big impact. Uh, as we sort of draw the bonus segment to a close here, Matthew, just a couple more questions. You know, we, we talked about um, your, the galvanizing of the foundation board, the alumni board, your key volunteers. Uh, can you just talk a little bit more about, you know, sort of buy-in around campus? You mentioned key stakeholders, right? And that it's a campus-wide campaign. As you think about sort of, you know, key volunteer roles, important stakeholders, you know, getting more buy-in for the campaign. What are some of the, the concerns you may still have that you're that you're working towards, I think, when it comes to, um, you know, checking all the boxes such that you're ready? Well, Ryan, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate uh, because I, I came back to a university and uh, spoke about this a little bit earlier and having that opportunity to be be very direct and clear on the vision we were going to lay out and, and how we were going to do it. And, you know, at the end of the day, just like fundraising, alumni engagement, it, it comes down to relationships and people. Um, I was fortunate to walk into an environment that was hungry for this, that bought into that direction um, 100% really early. That comes, that's all the way up to our president, our executive leadership team, uh, our deans, uh, our athletic director. I, I got to mention Jeremiah Dickey, um, our new AD. I was fortunate to be on the search committee for Jeremiah. So we were able to build a relationship early. Uh, Jeremiah and I both bring the mindset of um, there, there's no building kingdoms here and, and we're not trying, it doesn't matter. There's no turf wars. It's how are we going to get this done? And as a result, we, I think we quadrupled our investment into major gift fundraising and in athletics. And it's paid off. They're having a record fundraising year here as well. And so Jeremiah's been a great partner. Um, I think the key part for us just comes down, and I spend a lot of my time building those relationships internally, um, following through on those commitments, and showing that we have to be one team to be able to do this. And it's really exciting. And here next month, uh, our deans are coming to an academic leadership fundraising uh, full day session. And it's exciting to see now deans wanting to say, lean in. Our deans now present at every single one of our foundation board meetings. They give an update on their fundraising productivity today. They run through their priority menu and what is gonna help move their vision forward. 
And then they give a 90 second commercial on one of those fundraising priorities. In our board packet for our foundation board, there's a one pager about that priority. What's that start to do? Well, A, it gives our dean some practice in sharing that vision and making that pitch in a fairly safe place with our volunteers and foundation board. But it starts to get to the question that I hear, and I heard it from our foundation board when I first got here, and your listeners, I, I bet they hear it all the time. Your most engaged volunteers typically have two, two questions. What do you need and how can we help? And if we're not constantly asking that and bringing them in and bringing our partners to the table to be able to do that, and it's been amazing to watch, the deans will do that. And these are five to seven minute presentations. But then you have a break in the board meeting. And I see a board member walk over <laughs> and engage with the dean. I see a dean walk and go lean in with a board member. And those conversations happen there. And then they started to, to move outside of the board move, uh, meeting to move things forward. That's an all a part of the culture that we're building here. And I'm, again, I'm so fortunate to have um, a great team and great campus partners and great volunteers that are committed and bought into this. That's fantastic. And it feels like a great place to end today's conversation. Um, an exciting opportunity for someone at Boise State, that new uh, associate vice president, alumni constituent engagement, a wonderful group to work with, uh, with yourself at the leadership helm there at Boise State. Um, we're grateful for you uh, appearing on uh, Alumless and um, giving us your insights, Matthew. Thank you so much. Well, uh, a big thank you to you, Ryan, and to you, Chris. Um, I want your listeners to know you're a big part of our change with us. You spent time on our campus. Uh, you really helped us take, and I heard this from one of our Alumni Association board members who was a big driver in creating the Alumni Association strategic plan a couple years ago. And when you all came in and did your initial work to us, uh, a gentleman named Jim Kearns, who was a past president of the association, he said, we finally now have a roadmap and I see clarity for us to not only be able to activate that association's plan, but more importantly, turn that into the university's plan. And I want to thank you all for your partnership in that. And I look forward to continuing it. Man, that was an even better place to end the podcast with uh, <laughs> with a healthy with a healthy plug for CMAC uh, and and what it can do. Thanks. I so got to end that. it with a uh, hit them straight to you, Matthew, and our, our regards uh, to Kurt and to your gift officers. Enjoy the day together. It's going to be glorious. I bet. Well, Have fun I, golfing. I probably won't hit them straight because I'll be too focused trying to continue to soak in uh, as much knowledge from Kurt. Wisdom, right? <laughs> yeah. It's 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 again fortunate to have this opportunity with him today. Good. Enjoy it. Well, thanks for joining us. And thanks for all the listeners out there that tuned into Alumnus. We'll be back in your feed again in a couple of weeks. See you again later. Bye. 